Let's bow once again for a word of prayer. Father, we are once again grateful that we can be here this day, that we can worship you through the study of your word, that you have revealed to us yourself through your Son, and commanded all of us to believe. Lord, this morning as we look at your word, may it impact our hearts as it must. May we be changed by it. To your glory and to your praise, we pray. Amen. This morning I was having a discussion in our time before elders meeting about things in the world and what is happening in the world and all that is going on. And and I'm always riveted by the reality of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ dealt with the leadership of the religious community during His time on earth, the Jewish leadership. And I was reminded of a passage this morning in John chapter 5. This is just by way of introduction. I just want to share these things to you, but... John chapter 5, where Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees and confronting their reality of not believing in Him. And He said to them, you, you went out to John and you, you saw Him and He bore witness to the truth. John 5 verse 33, He said, but, but the witness which I received is not from man. I say these things that you may be saved. And Jesus saying, listen, the words I speak are for your salvation. The things that I tell you are truth. He was a lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in His light, but the witness which I have is greater than John. The works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I do, they bear witness of me that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has borne witness of me, but you have neither heard his voice at any time, nor have you seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you. Why? Because you do not believe him whom he sent. And he said these indicting words, you you search the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Thinking about that in our day and age, we have a lot of people who say they believe the Bible, they carry around the Bible, they look to the Scriptures, and they have whole cults that talk about the Bible, say that the Bible is truth, and yet they believe that in the Bible, in the words that are on the page, that somehow there they have eternal life. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, it is these that bear witness of me. Jesus is saying, listen, that the Scriptures aren't the things that save you. It's whom the Scriptures talk about. It's whom the Scriptures point to. That is the truth of the Scriptures. We need the Bible because we need Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning, and it is this. If I were to say to you, tell me what matters most to you, how would you answer that question? What is it that matters most to you? It's an intriguing question. 
because in our day and age, in our lives, we continually have differing things and events and duties and responsibilities all vying for that moment to be what matters most in our life. And so the answer that we might give to that question might be very different depending upon how each one of us is hearing it and thinking about the question and its implications. I often speak to young couples who are pursuing marriage. And in all that we talk about, really behind it all is this idea of what is it that matters most to you in life? Because how we answer that says much about where trouble will arise in our life, particularly trouble when we walk down the road of life with another person. So I'll say it again. How might you answer that question? What is the thing in which you would say trumps all other things in life? What is the priority in life? What is the priority? In other words, what is the one thing that is most important. The one thing which is to eclipse everything else. That which is more important than anything else. How would you answer that question? Well, if you have been with us in our study of the Gospel of Luke, then part of your answer could be, and probably ought to be, some version of the reality that it is an allegiance to Jesus Christ. If you remember back in Luke chapter 9, if you're not there, you can open your Bibles to Luke 10, but, but I'll refer to Luke chapter 9 right now. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57, you remember Jesus was carrying out the reality of what discipleship meant to him, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he describes three different, really, attitudes about him. Attitudes and reference to him that showed themselves to not be followers of him. One attitude was that which showed up in being unprepared for what it means to follow Christ. You remember he said, this one man says to him, I will follow you wherever you go, verse 57. And Jesus said, the foxes have holes, birds of the air have, ne have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Really, Jesus is saying, are you prepared for difficulty in life? If you follow me, life will not be easy. Are you ready for that? Is, does your allegiance take you there? And then another was an attitude that showed up really in the desire for an inheritance before he would follow Christ. Another said, oh, follow, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, wait a minute, permit me first to go and bury my father. His father wasn't dead yet. He had already been there had his father died already. He's simply saying, listen, I have details about my future that I need to deal with first. I need to make sure that things are in order so that when my father dies, I get the inheritance that has allowed me. And Jesus says to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now there was nothing can have a greater allegiance. And then of course the final one showed up in an unwillingness to really leave friends or family to abandon what you knew in the past. 
He said, another said to him, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. First, allow me to deal with that. I, I, I don't want to turn my back on all that first. I need, to, I need to go and have those last times with these people. I don't want to give all that up. And Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In all of these, there is this reality that there was no allegiance to Jesus Christ, no real desire to follow Him, and therefore there's no following of Jesus. And I think therein lies a principle for us who profess to believe upon Jesus Christ, those of us who are Christians. And that principle is being highlighted from another angle here in Luke's chapter 10, if if one is a follower of Jesus Christ, then our primary, our utmost priority in life is to hear the Word of God. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, our utmost priority is to be discipled by Jesus. In other words, everything else is to be subservient to that. Everything else in life is to follow that. All other things can only be done rightly, in fact, as an outflow of the discipleship of Jesus Christ in our lives through the hearing of Him in His Word. In fact, I I don't even think it's too much to conclude that to disregard the hearing of the Word of God, to place other things in front of the hearing of the Word of God, opens the door to unimaginable sin. I want you to follow along as I read our text this morning, beginning here in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke writes, now as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. It's a very interesting account, isn't it? Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that includes it in any of the narratives of the gospel as Jesus travels and traverses the area. And of course, we understand in the context of the flow of this narrative, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is coming from the north to the south, and in a few short months, he will die for the sins of all of those who would ever believe. But until that time, 
In the sovereign plan of God, in the redemptive plan of the Godhead, Jesus is traversing the towns and villages from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, and he is preaching about the kingdom to come. He is preaching the gospel concerning himself, and God has been attesting to who he is through miraculous signs and wonders that he has been doing. Even in the text I introduced this morning in John chapter 5, Jesus is pointing at the Pharisees for the reality of those facts, that he has been going around, not only have others been talking about him, that he would come, but he has been going around doing miraculous signs, and they still aren't believing in him. And so this is Jesus' ministry, and we also understand that some are hearing and even believing, though many are rejecting. Some of those who have heard the message are mentioned here in our text. Two women, one named Martha, the other Mary. Luke doesn't mention the name of this village in which Jesus entered. It just says now they were traveling along and he entered a certain village. The details really aren't necessary for us to really grasp the principle being laid out here. But if we are in the scriptures at all, then we know its name. Why? Because in John's gospel, specifically in John chapter 11, the time when Jesus would raise their brother from the dead, whose name was Lazarus, and that happened in the town of Bethany. So we know this is Bethany. And the family was most likely a prominent family in that community. You say, why? Because we can conclude that because of how many people came from Jerusalem to their house in John chapter 11 when Lazarus died. There were throngs of people that came to mourn over the death of their brother. And so together, Luke tells us that Martha and Mary and their brother lived here in Bethany, and they would have probably had a pretty nice home, at least by the standards of the day. And our text says here in verse 38, that as Jesus was traveling along, as he's traversing back and forth and going down towards Jerusalem, he enters this certain village. We know it to be Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And then verse 39 tells us that she had a sister named Mary. Martha's name in Aramaic means mistress. That doesn't sound very good, at least in our day and age because we think of mistress in, an, in a wicked fashion, but the word in those days just meant the keeper of the home. That's what it meant. She was the wife, probably. She probably was married at least at one time. Possibly now she's a widow. We're not sure. It doesn't tell us because we don't hear about her husband at all here. And certainly Luke would have said something about that. And it seems, at least from this passage... And from the word structure of the original language, that this was probably the first time that Jesus had actually met this family personally. We know that he spent several times there over his travels, because by the time you get to John chapter 11, which is after this moment when he raises Lazarus from the dead, he, he knows them personally. In fact, it even says he loves them. 
And so there was a, a relationship built. But this is probably the first time he met them. You say, why? And I think because Luke describes Martha here simply as a woman. There was this woman named Martha who welcomed him into her home. That is that just simply to say that if Jesus had already known her, Luke had been certainly around at these times. Luke wouldn't have written it that way. He would have simply said something like, Jesus came to this village and greeted Martha and Mary. Something similar to that, possibly, but certainly not in this generic fashion. Here is this woman named Martha, and she has a sister. So the words imply a great deal. We were not told where they met in the village. Maybe Martha was out in the village when Jesus came by there. We're not sure. But we do know that Martha and Mary were eager to have Jesus in the home. Could have been that they were informed ahead of time that Jesus was coming. Remember, Jesus had sent out the 70 into the surrounding villages and the areas. Maybe some of the 70, two of them came down to Bethany to say, hey, Jesus is coming. They're preparing the way. That's why Jesus sent them out. Go and tell people that I'm coming. Maybe that was the reason. Maybe they thought that if he did come to the village, he would certainly be weary in need of some food. And so they could fulfill that need. We're not sure. Luke doesn't tell us. None of the other gospel writers give us that kind of background. So we're, we're just kind of thinking through it and speculating on, on those kind of things. But whatever it was that prompted this encounter, the text tells us that Jesus was welcomed into their home. He was received kindly. That's what the word means. And he accepts the invitation and their domestic instincts kick in. At least at some point, they kicked in. It seems while they both were listening to Jesus speak, in fact, if you have the New King James Version of this text, it kind of brings it out a little more clearly to notice that it probably was both, because verse 39 in the New King James Version says it this way, and she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So there's the implication there that when they welcomed Jesus into the home, they both sat there and were listening to Jesus. They, Jesus was there, they had welcomed him in, and, and Jesus begins to speak. That was what Jesus does. And so by inviting him in and welcoming Jesus in and serving Jesus, they're, they're actually being good Christians. They are, they're actually just doing what the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, by contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality to strangers. They're serving the one who was, as Luke says here in verse 40, their Lord. Martha calls him Lord, Lord. Do you not care? Verse 39 says that her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to the Lord's word. So they both have respect. They both have an honor for Jesus as they should. He is, as the word means, he is their master. That's what the word Lord means. He's master. 
they've believed upon Jesus already, so it seems to indicate that initially their energies are focused on what they both believe is their need, their own personal greatest need, to listen to Jesus. So that's, that's the scene, if you will. That's, that's what we're brought into by Luke. Jesus is in the room, in the home. Each person knows who he is. And notice, in the movement of time, each is making a different choice. And the choice has immense ramifications upon their lives because they're making the choice about what matters most to them. And so notice first the choice that Mary makes. We're introduced to the scene in verse 38. They are welcomed. Jesus is welcomed into the home. And Luke says, and she had a sister, that is Martha had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. The text doesn't tell us anything else about Mary. But what it does tell us is that she is doing what matters most. This is the crux of the issue. She is doing what matters most. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus describes that in his answer to Martha as the good part. She is chosen the good part, he says. And that part will not be taken from her. That is all we are told about Mary. And so just in that one little verse, she becomes, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and by means of the words of Luke here, she becomes the quintessential example for every Christian to follow or to be like. I don't like the word follow. That sounds like we're following some person that isn't Jesus. But this is to be our attitude. When Jesus came to her house, even though there were preparations to make, even though there were things to do, even though there were domestic responsibilities, all good things. Nothing wrong that having the desire to want to make Jesus comfortable and, and put your best foot forward for Jesus. Nothing wrong with those kinds of things. We might even think they're necessary things in our own heart. Things that have to be done. But what Mary knew was that what she needed most was to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to Him. By the way, I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. This is what Jesus always did. Anywhere He went, He taught. And as He was teaching... Mary's sitting there listening. The grammar would indicate that it wasn't just a, a sideline thing, that she's listening from a distance, but the grammar it would indicate that she's listening continually. She is tuned in to Jesus. And she also understood who he was, for she was listening to the Lord's word. So she, she not only knew 
it was Jesus, but she knew he was the Lord. And, and she's sitting there and, and she knew that, that most importantly and, and most determined for her own life in growth for her was to sit at the Lord's feet. So not only was she listening, but she was in a place that was not normal for women of her day. She was at his feet. Even here, we can see a subtle indictment of the Jewish leadership. Why? Because Jesus is allowing her to be taught by him. In that special way, Judaism didn't forbid a woman to be taught the law, but it was absolutely unheard of for a rabbi to allow a woman to sit at his feet. It wasn't about the proximity to the person. It wasn't about the location in that sense. It's what that said about that person and the teacher that made the difference. The posture wasn't the issue. It was what it stood for. And that meant that the teacher had a student, a student not only that came to him, but a student that he accepted as his student, someone that he was going to impart his life to so that they could become like him. That was not a privilege for women. And so we cannot miss what is happening here. Mary understood her greatest need. and She didn't want to miss a word coming from her Lord's mouth. She was intently interested in everything that he was saying. It didn't matter what it was. She wanted to hear it. And the closer she could be to him, the better. I was reading through this and I thought, you know, that says something to us, doesn't it? Sometimes when I study, I'll read this passage or read a passage and it'll strike me. And I just sit back in my chair for a while and just let it percolate. This says something to us. Because I thought about it, and I thought, is that, is that the intensity? Is that the intensity with which we approach the Word of God? Is that the intensity in our heart with which we come before the Word of God? Do we realize that hearing the Word of God is our greatest need as believers? When we have the privilege to hear the truth, are we desiring to hear it? Are we listening as if we were sitting right at the feet of Jesus so that we don't miss anything? Is that the intensity that we bring to the Word of God? In fact, do we understand do we understand that His Word is our greatest need and therefore we do not allow it to be eclipsed by anything of which is less priority? Remember what Jesus said back in Luke chapter 6? Jesus said this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them is like a building 
that's built on the rock. You know what he says in the verse just before that? In the verse just before that, we like that verse. Okay, I, I come to the Word of God. I hear the Word of God. I, I, I do the Word of God. I, I'm, I'm solid. I, I got a solid foundation. The verse before that says, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? You see, the reality of life is the, is the, the second part that I read there. Why do you hear what I'm saying? Why do you come to me? Why do you call me master, but you don't do what I say? You say you're hearing the word. You say you're coming to my word, but you're not doing it. So you're not a house built on the rock. In other words, being in proximity to Jesus doesn't prove anything. Acting upon His Word shows that we are listening. Before we'll ever listen, we have to understand what matters most. We must know that we need it. We need it. Before we'll ever listen to the Word and thereby act upon the Word, we must realize in ourselves that we need it. It's what I need the most. Mary's desire was to soak in the Word of God. Mary's desire was to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to the Word of God. It seems as if her and Martha at one point were together dealing with the domestic realities of trying to provide whatever it was they were doing. And Mary kind of just filtered away and sat back down at Jesus' feet. What about Martha? I believe Martha began there. She began there. The word in the New King James, the word also, I think indicates that to us. I think the word moreover in verse 39 is that similar reality. And she had a sister called Mary who moreover, in other words, both of them were, but moreover, Mary was over here. I think Martha was, was in that vein. But notice verse 40, but Martha, this is a strong contrast to Mary, but Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted. Distracted just simply means that she was being pulled away by everything else. That's what it means. Everything else was, was drawing her away. And the implication is this, beloved, that while Martha wanted, wanted to have Jesus, wanted to hear from Jesus, she welcomed Him into her home. She, she was listening to Jesus with Mary at one point. She was pulled away by what she thought was more important. More necessary. In other words, in her listening to Jesus, in her listening to the Lord, she allowed herself to be distracted by other unnecessary things. Not bad things. They're not bad things. They're just other things. 
Other things that drew her away from listening to Jesus. And at that time, even though they weren't bad things, they were not so necessary things. And that got her into some spiritual trouble. It got her into some spiritual trouble. Notice what happens in her heart when she chooses that which is not necessary over that which is necessary. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Now right there, in just that simple little phraseology, is several sins going on in the heart of Martha. Sin number one is the sinful judging of others and their motives. Mary is over here listening to the Lord, and Martha is there doing the business about which she is being distracted by, and she is thinking in her heart, what is my sister doing? She must not care about me. And not only does she not care about me, but God certainly doesn't care about me. And so she says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? I mean, she's impugning the motive of Mary. She's left me to do the serving alone. She thinks so little of me that she left me. And then... She even goes farther and impugns God and His care for her. You do not care. Your heart ever said that before the Lord? Lord, you must not care about me. Really? Really, the one who created you, the one who has perfectly orchestrated your life so that you might come to know him, the, the one who drew you to himself, the one who has given you all the love he could ever give you in the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't care? Doesn't care, Martha, that you're standing at the sink doing dishes? So in her heart, she's sinfully judging others and their motive. In her heart, she's impugning God and His care for her and has the audacity in her sinfulness to come and tell God that very thing. And then thirdly, she makes a sinful demand of God to change her circumstance. God, you tell her to help me. It's as if Jesus doesn't have a moment even to answer in her questioning. You don't care about me. My sister doesn't care about me. And I'm telling you to tell her to help me. Wow. Now listen, Martha thought that hearing from Jesus was important. But in her heart, other things had a greater priority. And because of that, because of her misplaced Priority, she exercises her sin towards her sister and God. Lord, you don't care 
My sister doesn't care. And I'm telling you, you need to change my circumstance. She's angry at Mary. She impugns Mary's motive by accusing her of being selfish. And shockingly, she has made Jesus out to be sinister. She's mad at Jesus for allowing it. (laughs) I mean, if you sit here in your sanctified imagination long enough, you can almost see Mary's eyes peering at her sister with death rays. Kind of brings to mind James chapter 4, doesn't it? James chapter 4. Why is there fighting and quarreling among you? Isn't it not that you have a desire, you don't get it, and so you murder? You kill? This is what's on the heart of Mary at this moment, or on Martha. I can't believe I'm the one left to do it all myself. Bitterness begins to erupt. Seething in her heart. Lord, you don't care about me. You don't care about what I'm going through. Resentment, self-pity. Tell her to stop sinning against me, Lord. After all, I'm the only one serving you. Arrogant pride. She's all mixed up. And because of that, she can't see the right way. Make no mistake about it, beloved. When you're, when you're caught in a trespass in your own heart, don't think that you can see the things righteously. Don't think that. You're blinded by sin. You can't see it rightly. This is Mary's problem. She's going to fix the problem, and so she goes to tell God what he must do to make it right. Lord, you don't care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone. Tell her to help me. It seems as if, at least in the narrative, there's at one point they're both sitting there listening, and 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 maybe they both get up and and go to take care of details, and Mary kind of goes back because she just can't be drawn away from Jesus. In fact, the English version of this text doesn't really get to the sense of it here, but but Martha is actually commanding God. She's commanding God. This isn't just a little question. Hey, by the way, can you tell her to help me? As if it's a question. No, this is a command. She's saying to Jesus, listen, Jesus, you tell her. She has now placed herself above God. That's what the foolishness of our sin will do. She is so far from truthful living that she not only sinfully accuses her sister, but she sinfully accuses God in the matter. I hope, I hope we can see a lesson in those words because Jesus desires us to listen to Him before we'll ever begin to righteously serve Him. Don't think, don't think you're in the ministry of serving God when you're not willing to listen to God. Or it's not the most precious thing that you have. Martha's sense of what mattered most was all skewed. She actually believed that what was needed most was that she was to be busy about the things for Christ's comfort. 
that those details were better, that those details were more needed than listening to Christ, than being personally discipled by Jesus. She thought other things were more important than her being discipled by God. I thought, man, are we like that so much? What a privilege it is for us. What a privilege it is for us to hear the absolute truth from the very mouth of God incarnate. What a privilege it is for us. You sit there right now holding in your hands the Word of God. The most important reality in the world is what you have in your hands. Divine truth. There's nothing more important than that. Divine truth. It is not just important for people who do not know God. It is not just important for people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ or do not know the Scriptures at all. It is important for all of us who do know God. There are so many of us Christians who don't understand how important. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, yeah, and for that matter, how sad it is that there are so many seemingly pastors and teachers and churches across our globe who cheat people of the words of Jesus because they too don't understand how important it is and they think that entertaining you is more important. Telling you a joke. I hope we realize that Martha wasn't some kind of enemy of Jesus. She wasn't an enemy of Jesus at all. She welcomed him. She loved Jesus. She believed in Jesus Christ. She became a, a close friend of Jesus. But she missed what mattered most. She missed the priority. Her devotion to Christ is really commendable. She, she wanted to serve Christ, but it's misplaced. She's running around trying to get done what she wants to do. She's trying to do it all the way she wants it done. And she misses the fact that right there at that moment, she has a rare privilege. Privilege to hear from her Lord. She misses the reality that she has the privilege of the necessity of being personally discipled by the Lord who created her. Mary, by God's grace, realized her need for it and took the privilege. But Martha it wasn't bad enough that her priorities were messed up. But just like us, once our priorities get messed up, our attitude and our actions as Christians do also. Martha becomes angry. She becomes accusatorial. She loses her joy of serving Christ. And so she gets mad in her heat of that anger and her heat of that loss of joy and her seething in her heart. She begins to command the Lord to act. 
if I threw out the question, what should she have done? Surely you would say what she should have done, especially when she was filled with rage, is to realize her true need and go and sit down next to her sister. That's what she should have done. When our heart is like that, we don't need to go to Jesus and say, change my circumstance. We need to go to Jesus and just listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Instead of commanding Jesus, we should listen to Jesus. Now, I want to say this before we we scold Martha ourselves. We say, I, I, I don't believe she'd do that. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that anyone would do that. Before we scold her that way, the reason I say is because if we're honest, this text is really about us. It's about us. Martha's with the Lord. Mary's with the Lord. The text is about us. It's an examination of our own hearts and what matters most to us. That's what it is. So here's another question. What is it that keeps you from being here to hear the Word of God? What is it that keeps you from being with the people of God to hear the Word of God? What in your schedule is more important than hearing instruction from the Lord with God's people? Say it another way, what pulls you away? What distracts you from Christ's discipleship? What distracts you both corporately and individually from Christ's discipleship? Is it sports? Maybe. Maybe it's sports. Maybe we got to catch the game so we can't come. Maybe I got to catch the game so I can't read the word. Maybe it's my kids. I'm too busy dealing with all the kids' stuff. Maybe I've elevated family above God and time in the Word of God and time being discipled by God. I've elevated family above that where I've really made an idol of family rather than worshiping God, and I claim that I, I'm just serving my family. Maybe it's like Martha. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's just sleep. We have to ask ourselves that question. What is it? What non-priority are we running about doing or spending our time on when we ought to be under the hearing of the Word of God? That's really the question. Beloved, when we look at Martha and wonder about her not doing what matters most, she was distracted, we have to make sure that we are looking at our own lives and asking what matters most to us. What is it that matters most? Do we love to hear the teaching of the Word of God? Let the words of Jesus ring in your ears. You say you love me, but do you do what I ask? Do we love to hear the teaching of the Word of God? 
Christians, we say we do. Many here do. But we have to acknowledge that among us, even within our own hearts, there sometimes is that distraction by the unnecessary that begins to take over. Really, it's an indictment to us about our priorities. We allow ourselves easily to get pulled away to the unnecessary things that only lead really to greater and greater sinful frustration. And then, and then we easily become sinfully condemning of those who are doing the necessary thing. Why? Because we're just trying to justify ourselves. This is exactly what we saw in the passage before this. Man had heard the teaching of Jesus. He heard what Jesus said. The 70 had gone out. They had shared that. Jesus had talked to them, said, listen, rejoice that your name's recorded in heaven. And a certain lawyer stands up and says, okay, tell me how I'm to be saved. Tell me what I must do to be saved. In other words, define the fine points for me so that I can make sure that I'm doing it. And he's trying to justify himself. Exactly what verse 29 says. Jesus really is saying to him the same thing he's saying to Martha. Your priorities are all mixed up. You want the wrong thing. Notice how the Lord answers Martha. Verses 41 and 42. The Lord answered and said to her, after she comes out of her anger and accuses her sister and accuses Christ and even commands Christ, the Lord in His gracious, pastoral, shepherding way says to her, Martha, You're worried and bothered about so many things. Notice he didn't say, Martha, just stop doing all that nonsense. I don't care about all that. He didn't say that. She's not doing bad things. But there are a lot of things that she's concerned about, worried and bothered in her own self, but only a few things are necessary. He says, really, one There's only one thing that's absolutely necessary and Mary's chosen the good part. Arrow in the heart. Implicationally, Martha, you haven't. And what she chose isn't going to be taken away from her. I'm not going to remove her from being discipled by me. Martha, don't you realize that's the one thing necessary? being discipled by me. I'm not going to take that from her. It's a powerful statement from Christ. The one thing that is necessary, the good part, is being discipled at the feet of Jesus. Hearing and absorbing the Word of God. In other words, there's no higher priority in life. For all of us who proclaim to love Jesus Christ as our Lord, we ought to love listening to Him in His Word. We ought to love when His Word is being taught. We ought to love to be in His Word. And Jesus says to Martha, that will not be taken away from Mary. I'm not going to tell her to stop doing that. In our home we have a little sign that reads, 
You have so much time, waste it wisely. You only have so much time, waste it wisely. I chuckle at that sign every time I see it. But that little phrase really is like what we find right here. Right? Life is short. Life this side of heaven is, is a temporal thing. It's short, it's a breath, and it's gone. So you better choose very deliberately. Martha, you're bothered and worried about so many things, but you're not choosing in the right thing, the good part. Life is short, so, so choose very deliberately. Why? Because life does not automatically arrange itself with what is most important and what is needed most. Life is usually lived by the tyranny of the urgent, isn't it? What's demanding of me right now? That which is clamoring loudest. And among all of those things that vie for our time, we must choose first, beloved, to sit at Jesus' feet. We must choose to be discipled by Jesus Christ. Choose the good part. Let that be our must in life. Mary had chosen the best thing. And God wasn't going to remove that from her. That's what is needed most. Listening to Jesus. You'll notice, by the way, that beginning now in chapter 11 and going all the way to chapter 19, Jesus does less miracles and much more direct teaching. We need to listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He's going to talk to us, beginning in chapter 11, about prayer. We need to listen to Jesus. Let's pray. We think about communion, Father. We are grateful that we can be here this day. Lord, what a challenge to us this little text is. What an encouragement to our soul that we can know you, that we can have you in our heart, that you would love us in such a way that we could understand what you say and begin to live it out. What a joy it is that you find pleasure in your children listening to you and doing what you have commanded of us to do. And that in that obedience to you, we are, we are on a solid foundation we have pure joy. Lord, help us not to be neglectful through our own distractions. Lord, we know, we know that your word is above all things. So help us to have that hunger for it, like that newborn babe longs for the milk of the Lord, longs for milk. Let us long for your word in that way. If other things are distracting us, Lord, may we in those moments realize our need and run to you, sit at your feet. 
all for the glory of your name and the growth of our life into Christ's likeness that others might see you. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.